I want to get straight into this word. Hey, Amen. You guys with me on that? Let's get straight into the word. Y'all like, we got football to watch today. Get into that thing. Uh, goodness. I want to speak the next 30 minutes or so on the title, He's Always on Time. Somebody say, He's Always on Time. He's Always on Time. That's some Baptist people got excited. May not come when you want him. Hey, it'll be there right. Oh, okay. That's why they don't let me on the team, see? That's why. Let's go to John 11, 1 through 3. We're going to go John 11. 1. This is one of my favorite stories. Lazarus from the grave. Yeah. One of my favorite stories. It's so rich. It's so deep. And so we're going to dig into it today and really extract everything we can from it. Now, a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent a word to him saying, Lord, he, our brother, your friend, whom you love is sick. Now, I'm going to pause there. The Bible is intentional with everything it does. The numbers make sense. The, 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 the genealogy all makes sense. This story makes sense because it's setting up the platform for us to understand the relationship that these people had with Jesus. This Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were friends of Jesus. You know you're a worshiper if you anoint somebody's hair with your, someone's feet with your hair. Think about that, right? I don't have hair, but I, I don't know if I would anoint too many people's <laughs> feet with my hair if I had some. They were worshipers. They had revelation. They had knowledge of who Jesus was. And when they were in their lowest point, when Lazarus was on the sickbed ready to die, they said, Jesus, we need you now. Now, Jesus wasn't around at that time, and so they sent word to him. Here's how Jesus responds to that. You guys ready? He responds in two ways. John 11 to 4 says this, but when Jesus heard it, this illness does not lead to death, he said. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Can I tell you this really quick? Some of the things you're going through right now don't add up. They don't make sense. You're like, God, I don't understand. Can I tell you that it's oftentimes that God may seem silent, but he's setting you up. Can I tell you those silent seasons are a setup for your next miracle? I don't know how people are looking for a miracle in their next season, but you better make some noise for Jesus because guess what? Those silent times often are a setup for your miracle. It may not make sense. It didn't make sense. He just said, hey, you know what? He didn't even send a word to them. Do you know that? He stayed where he was. John 11, 5 through 6 says this. Now Jesus loved and was concerned about Martha and her sister and Lazarus and considered them dear friends. So here's what he did. You ready? So even when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the same place for two more days. Do you understand what we just read there? It's letting you know Jesus was deeply concerned. He cared about them. And so what did he do? Did he run over there and say, I'm going to take care of it, baby. Don't worry. He stayed where he was. Jesus' response to their petitions and their longings was to be silent and remain still. I don't know how many people in this season that you may be going through right now, maybe you've been going through it for a while where it feels silent. It feels like when you pray and you're pressing unto God and you're like, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Anyone ever been in a season like that? Hmm. Somebody say, Yes. Can I tell you this? Those moments of silence are so essential. 
Many of us, in fact, wouldn't say that Jesus' response to them not coming to save the day right away would be love. In today's culture, we want our stuff now, right? We want our blessing. We want it now. I want my husband, and I want him now. I want my money, and I want it. There you go. Y'all saw the commercial. Here's what I want you to know. Waiting in faith produces strength, compassion, and anointing in our lives. I'm going to say that again. Waiting in faith, because it matters how you wait, produces strength, compassion, and anointing for our lives. I'm going to proof text that. Isaiah 40, 31. I love the Amplified version of this. It says, but those who wait on the Lord. Now, here's how you wait, right? Because you can wait and just sit there and just give up. That's not waiting in faith. Here's how you wait in faith. You ready? Who expect, look for, and hope in him will do what? They will gain new strength and renew their power. I don't know if you came here today and you feel powerless, you feel drained, you feel weak, good, because you're in the perfect spot. Because right when you're in the place of waiting for God, he is ready to renew your strength. He is ready to refill you with power. I know many people right now, you feel like I'm powerless, I can't do anything about this. Guess what? You're in the right place. God says, wait on me and I will renew your strength. I will renew your power. Y'all ain't amen as good as I'm preaching. I can feel it today. God's love surpasses our immediate happiness. He loves with an eternal perspective and purpose. Think about this. How many parents we have in the room? How many want to claim their kids? And No. <laughs> you know what it's like to be a parent. I'm a parent where sometimes you got to make your kids wait sometimes. I know you want to drive, baby, but you, <laughs> you're 14. <laughs> you know, no, it's not time yet. You might hurt yourself. You want to move out. I understand you want to move out, but you ain't got the resources yet to move out. If I let you do this thing, if I put you in this place, I'm, I stop love, I'm hurting you. And many times we're like God. We're, we act like that with God. Well, God, I want, my, I want it now. Why do, why do my friends have a house? Why do my friends have this? I'm serving you, God. I don't see the blessings. Did you ever think that God was setting you up for your next miracle? Those things that look dead, those things that look like I don't see how it's going to work out, God is setting you up. And this is why you have to wait in faith. Number one, strength. Number two, compassion. Compassion is a precursor to the anointing. I'm going to say that again. Compassion is a precursor to the anointing. I remember when I was single and had no kids many, many years ago. I would get on airplanes, and I would judge those parents whose kids was acting crazy on the airplane, screaming. And then eventually I had to wait on an airplane myself with my kids, and then it gave me compassion. I'm like, okay, this is not as easy as I thought it was. Can I tell you, in your seasons of wait and silence, it builds up your compassion. So you can start saying, okay, I, I remember crying in this season, and I see you in a similar season. It builds up your compassion. We have compassion. In fact, Jesus, his miracles often, before he did his miracle, it says, and Jesus was what? Moved with compassion. Compassion is your power before the anointing. And finally, anointing. Anointing. Anointing is the power to get things done. I don't want to do anything without the anointing. I don't want to preach without the anointing. I don't want to parent without the anointing. I don't want to love my wife without the anointing. When you wait in faith, it builds the anointing. You get oily. Somebody say oily. Oily. I ain't talking about like your hair. I'm talking about the anointing oil. <laughs> Don't take offense to that, y'all. And we know that you can wait in faith, or the opposite side is this. You can wait in anger. Can I tell you this? Waiting in anger produces fear, resentment, and disconnection. You ain't got to put your hand up. How many people have ever waited in anger against God? 
Yeah, I'm preaching from experience. Yeah, I'm preaching from experience. This thing hits first at home, and then you can share it. God, why isn't it happening yet? You got your word says this. God, I'm your son. I'm your friend. Remember Mary and Martha? That's why they said that story. We're not talking about people who aren't connected to Jesus. I'm talking about people who serve Jesus. You show up every Sunday, and you work in the parking lot. You work as a greeter. You serve. You give. And you're like, Jesus, where is my breakthrough? I don't get it. And you go from a place of expectation to a place of anger. God, why haven't you done it yet? I can't believe this. Look at how they're prospering. If you read the Psalms, David was often battling with this. Look at how they're prospering and look at me, God, where are you at? But he was a man after God's own heart to deal with always come back. If you don't bounce back from anger, then guess what? It leads to fear. Fear is, well, God, I guess it's not going to happen then. I know they said God's a healer, but right now I'm not seeing it. I guess I might die. The devil is a liar. I don't see the resources. I guess it's not going to happen. No. And then fear turns to resentment. Then you start looking around and saying, ah, I can't stand them and I can't stand God. (laughs) Can I tell you, during your seasons of waiting in faith, the biggest attempts that the devil brings against you is two things. He, number one, whispers in your ear and tells you that God doesn't really love you. His plans aren't really true. The word isn't really true, and it's not for you. It's true for them, but not for you. That's the number one thing the enemy does in seasons of waiting. Everybody ever experienced that before? You know that's not how you feel. You feel overwhelmed by anxiety all of a sudden. But here's the second thing the enemy does, and he gets you to do this. He lets you be a participant. He gets you to start comparing yourself to others. He gets you to start comparing yourself to others. So not only do you now believe that God doesn't love you, then all of a sudden, you start looking on Instagram. You start looking at your neighbor's stuff. I heard this quote. It's one of the most true quotes I've ever heard. Comparison is the greatest thief of joy. You ever heard that before? You can have so much joy. You say, God, I need a car. And he blesses you with a car. It's, it might be a hoopty, right? And, and it backfires when you turn it off and the coolant is spilling on the ground. But that's your car. You're going to stick by him. And so you try to drive that car. All of a sudden, you see your friend rope to church with a new Honda Accord. And now you're not happy no more. You say, God, bless me with a husband. Bless me with a wife. And they come. And all of a sudden, 20 years later, you start looking around somewhere else. Comparison is the greatest thief of joy. Can I tell you, during your seasons of wait, we must resist the urge to compare yourself to others. Because here's the thing. You don't know what they paid to get there. They might have gave up their soul for it, or they might have worked with Jesus and went through their own process of waiting in faith. Comparison tries to get you off the timing that God has for you. Hmm. Amen? So here's, so now we know we have to wait in faith instead of fear, amen, instead of anger, amen? Everybody with me? So the question is, how do we do that, right? I came for it with solutions, not just to tell you, hey, wait with faith. We know that, right? But it's hard sometimes. So I'm going to share with you, what do you do? Here's what you do. You pursue faith and community while you wait on the promises of God. That's key. And it sounds simple, but we got to break it down. We wait by pursuing faith and community. But the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. There we go. Yes and amen. So what do you do when you are here and the promises are here? You pursue faith. How do you get faith? Number one thing is you read your Bible. The word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
the word of God. So the first thing you have to do is get in your word. Why? Because you can get into the promises of God. And if he did it for Abraham, he'll do it for me. If he did it for Moses, he'll do it for me. There was a way. He made a way out of nowhere. They were at the Red Sea, and he split it. Now I have faith. I'm facing a Goliath, but I'm going to read about David and how if God, if you could deliver David, you could deliver me. I can read about Daniel and the lion den and say, God, if, if I'm going through this lion den in my job right now, they're trying to attack me like lions. But you deliver Daniel, you'll deliver me. I don't have the resource, but I remember, Jesus, when you took the fish and the loaves and you multiplied it. The word will build your faith. The word will build your faith. Then you pray. That's the logos. But then you pray and you get the rhema word. The Logos word is the foundation, but then you pray and you get a connection to the Father for the rhema word. The rhema word is the audible, the, the spoken word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the garden, he told Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth. That means that there's a constant word that's coming from the voice of God that you can get the word, but also I need a word for today. How do I deal with my marriage? Okay, I know marriage is good, but God, I need a rhema word to help me walk through my marriage. I need a word that proceedeth. I can't go in the word just from two years ago. I need a word every day. I need, I need to get in my prayer place every day and say, God, show me how to walk this out. Show me how to love my wife. Show me how to start this business. I need a word that proceedeth out the mouth of God. And finally, fasting. Now, that's not a cuss word. Some of you are like, oh, that's not a cuss word, fasting. Why is fasting important to build your faith? Fasting is important because it allows you to take that flesh, those carnal desires, that anger, that resentment, that fear, and you put it under subjection. You turn over your plate and you say, look, I'm not eating, and I'm going to take this time of eating and spend it with God. Why? Because you are made of three parts. You are a body, right? You're a spirit. You have a body. You possess a soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So when you fast, you're saying, body, I know you want to be angry. I know you want to get on Instagram and compare stuff. But guess what? You're going to get in the word now. You're going to pray. And by starving out the fleshly desires, I'm building up my spirit. If I build up my spirit, then I can wait in faith. I can resist anger. You guys with me? Second thing you need, you need to pursue faith but also community. Sometimes we miss it in church. We need community. We need community. I'm going to say it again. We need community. You can't do it by yourself. I know them songs. Again, I grew up Baptist. I'm going to hit you all some Baptist songs. As long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. That's a lie. You need somebody. You need community. Why? Because when life gets tough, I need somebody to ride or die with me to help me walk out the faith journey. Let's go to the text. Here's what Jesus does when he steps in the situation. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to go back somewhere. Let's go to John 11:35. actually. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus arrives and says, Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him as a close friend? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Let's talk about community for a second. That's a beautiful example of community. So Lazarus dies, right? So some of you guys think, well, Jesus has said he's, he's not, he's not going to end in death. He, he died. So I'm here to speak to you about your situation that looks dead. Just because it looks dead doesn't mean it is dead. I serve a God who does the impossible. And so Jesus comes in and he weeps. Why? 
because he saw the grief that sin and the consequences of sin caused his friends. Now, some people said, oh, see, he really misses his friend. No, Jesus didn't miss him because he knew he would come back. Some said, oh, well, Jesus should have came here. He, he could have saved me out there opening blind eyes. He should be out here healing the sick, his friend. Their community lacked two things. They lacked relation and revelation. They didn't know who Jesus was. That's why they were thinking about his feelings and how they were truly, and they were off about his feelings. And they had no revelation of Jesus, so they didn't know his power. I don't know about you, but I need friends that have relation with Jesus and revelation with Jesus. I don't need somebody pointing me to the clubs when things are bad with me and my wife. I need somebody to point me to Jesus. I need somebody with a revelation. I need somebody to pray with me. Say, hey, I know it looks tough, but don't give up yet. I know it's not looking good, but you can't quit yet. I need somebody to come and pray with me. I need somebody to come to my house and say, no, DJ, you're acting crazy. Come to church. You need a community with revelation of Jesus. If God did it before he could do it again, I've seen God. I got a word for you. I'm, I'm getting out of the Logos word, but I'm getting a rhema word. I got a prophetic word. I'm preaching this thing, y'all. Sure. Okay. We need friends with revelation and relation so they can build you up in the most holy faith. Now, let's read what Jesus does when he steps into the situation right on time. John eleven thirty eight 38 and 40. So Jesus, again, deeply moved within the point of anger. He went from crying to anger. Why was Jesus angry? Because he saw his friends hurt from what he was coming to deliver them from. Can I tell you, Jesus has not missed your prayers. He hasn't ignored you. He feels your pain. This is proof right here. He feels your pain. He feels you when you get that diagnosis. He feels you when you've been waiting for a long time and it doesn't seem like it's going to break through yet. He feels you when your kids are, are, are doing things you never raised them to do. He feels you. He understands you. He's not a God that is not acquainted with our feelings and our, and our challenges. He was man and walked out what we experienced. So he approached the tomb and it was a cave and a boulder and was lying against it to cover the entrance. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Can I tell you, there's revelation in that. Just right there, take away the stone. Somebody say, take away the stone. Many of us have waited in anger, and so now we build up stone hearts in front of the entrance to our miracle. Many of us have put up stone in our hearts, stone walls up. Oh, God, you didn't do it, so I guess you can't heal me then. Jesus is ready to do a miracle for Lazarus, but there was a stone blocking. Can I tell you, Jesus is ready to unleash a miracle at the perfect timing, but many times we have stones up, we have walls up from the past, from rejection, from fear, from resentment. Somebody say, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, that lets you know that's Lazarus by the dead man. <laughs> he was dead, that's... It says right there. Exclaim, but Lord, by this time he is decaying and throws off an offensive odor, for he has been dead for, for four days. I'm telling y'all, this thing, I can, each sentence is rich. Can I break this down? Number one thing, we got to go from here. Jesus is not worried about getting in your stank. Some of us are like, I got to clean myself. Before go. Jesus is like, let me in that stinky tomb. Jesus is like, let me in that room you're in. Let me in that depression. Let me in that fear. Let me in that anxiety. Let me in that pain. Let me in that broken marriage. 
Let me in that medication. Let me on that doctor's report. Let me in. Let me in those kids. I'm not worried about how it smells. I'm not worried about what you've done in the past. I'm not worried about whatever you dragged. Just let me in. And then Martha says, well, it's hopeless. It's been four days. You guys know, you guys know the significance of that. Brother Rainey, if you're an MVP here, you missed out at uh, 9 o'clock this morning. He was talking about faith versus facts. And so the facts were in the Jewish culture at that time that they believed the soul hovered around the body for three days, hoping to reenter the body. But after three days, it's gone and there's no chance. So when Martha looks at the situation, the facts, according to her understanding, was it is impossible and that's why Jesus waited until what man says impossible. He stepped in and says, guess what? I'm going to wait for you to say it's impossible. I don't want my credit given to the soul hovering. I don't want you thinking that it was assisted. I'm going to come when it looks the bleak. Because can I tell you, right now your situation may look bleak. It may look dead. It may look like there's no hope. Watch what you say. She says it's impossible. It's impossible. It's not impossible. That business is not impossible. Your marriage restoring is not impossible. Being healed is not impossible. Right when it looks impossible, that's when I look up and say, God, I'm expecting you to come now. Get the glory. Hmm. And here's what Jesus says. Didn't I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God? He had a reminder. That's why you need to stay in your word. You need a community. Didn't I tell you that if you believe in me, you'll see the glory? Don't worry about Four days. Don't worry about the stink. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about the report. If you believe in me, you'll see my glory. Jesus is saying that to you today. If you believe in me, I will show you my glory. Here's the final thing I want you to know. Waiting for the Kairos time of God makes way for the glory of God to be made manifest. That's a rich statement, y'all. I'm going to break it down. Waiting for the kairos time of God makes way for the glory of God to be made manifest. Let's start with defining kairos. Here's what kairos means. Kairos is the appointed time and the purpose of God. The, app the appointed time and the purpose of God. I'm going to give you some quick facts so you feel like you learned something today. In the New Testament, kairos is used 86 times versus chronos 54 times. So chronos is based on the sun rotation, the earth rotation, right? The moon, stars, right? Up and up down, Monday through Sunday, January, February, March, April, right? That's chronos. But in the word of God, they operated in kairos. That's God appointed time. That's God's time. When he's alpha and omega, he's outside of time. And the biggest challenge is we have cognitive dissonance. What does that mean? There's a separation between what we believe and what we're experiencing. So we're living in Kronos, and God is on Kairos. So we're saying, God, why don't I have my husband yet? Why don't I have my wife yet? Why don't I have my house yet? Why don't I have my ministry yet? You're on Kronos. God is on Kairos. So our time, our job is to get on God's time, not our own time. You guys with me? How do we do that? We stay in faith. We get in the word. If I can have the worship team come back up because I'm about to close. God uses the weight to prune, prepare, and propel you to your Kairos moment. 
that wait is not in vain. That wait is not in vain. It may feel like it. It may feel silent. It may feel like, I don't get why God is so mean. He is not a waster of resources. He's a good steward of your time. He's a good steward of your heart. He's a good steward of your mind. He's not trying to drive you crazy by making you wait. He uses the weight to prune you. What's prune mean? It means to cut off the dead stuff. He might have to cut off some friendship. Remember that community you've been hanging with? All of a sudden you're like, why am I losing all my friends? Because he's pruning off the dead so that you can propel to your next destination. He wants to prune off some character issues because he's called you at a next level, but you can't have that character for where you're going. You remember Joseph? Joseph had a dream that he was going to be worshipped by his brothers, but God took him through a process. Huh? God took him through a process of pruning. Remember David? Anointed. 13. You're going to be king. God took him through a process where he was rejected and hurt, chased down, killed. A process. He pruned off character issues to prepare him. Jesus what? Jesus was in the synagogue learning and teaching at 12, a teenager. But you don't see his ministry launch until he was what? 30. Something about the 30. I can't even speak to any 27, 28, 29 year olds. I don't know, but there's a pattern in the Bible where right before you turn 30, you might be going through a season of silence. You might be going through a hard time, but guess what? You're on the verge of a Kairos moment. I'm prophesying to somebody. Y'all better take it. prune, prune. And after that, he's preparing. He's preparing you. So now you start to get in your word. That that pruning now is starting to develop character. Now you can walk out character. You're prepared to be king. You're prepared to be a father. You're prepared to be a husband, a mother. You're starting to build character. God is preparing you in that way season. I'm just not waiting in vain. All of a sudden, I'm waiting to be prepared. God has given me the, the vocabulary the lessons, the connections, the resources, everything I need to walk out my destiny. I'm not walking in my destiny ill-prepared. I'm walking out my destiny in the time of God. And finally, propel. Propel. Prune, prepare, propel. The final part of that wait is God is ready to launch you into your destiny at his timing. You might be right around the corner from a Kairos moment. Many of you were close to Kairos moment, but you've been waiting in anger, so you've disconnected from God. I came today to reconnect you to Jesus. I came today to reconnect you to the promise that's on your life. I can't promise that after you leave today, it's going to be perfect. I can't promise you when you wait in faith, God is going to renew your strength. You're going to mount up like, a, like an eagle with wings. You're going to run and not get weary. You're going to walk and not faint. ready to propel you to your destiny but you got to get on God's time your waste not in vain your pain is not in vain it's bringing anointing I don't want my own blessing I want God's blessings I want God's timing I don't want an Ishmael I want my Isaac I don't want the counterfeit I want the real thing I don't want my story I want God's glory I want what everything God has for me. I'm not settling. I'm not giving up. I'm not comparing. I'm not looking at your blessing because God knows what I need. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. God is doing it still today. In fact, everybody can stand up now. Two groups. 
number one, if you've been in a place, you've got to be honest. This is between you and God. If you've been in a place of anger while you wait for the promises of God, if you've been in a place of resentment, fear, disconnection, you better run to the altar because you're not hurting God, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting God, you're hurting yourself. You're disconnected from the very source. You put up that stone and Jesus is saying right now, take away the stone. Move the stone. Move the stone away from your heart. Move the stone away from your mind. I'm ready to renew you. The second group is this. People who are saying, God, I'm waiting and I'm trusting you. I'm renewing my faith. I'm going to wait in faith. I'm going to wait because I know, God, you have something good for me. You come up to the altar right now if that's you. I'm waiting in faith, and God, I'm standing in faith here. I don't see it yet. I don't see the marriage restored yet. I don't see the kids that I'm asking for yet. I don't see the blessing yet. I don't see the money yet. I don't see all the blessings you speak on the Bible. I don't see them yet, but I'm not giving up. I'm standing in faith. Now, here's what you do as you stand up here. Maybe you're standing for your children. You're standing for your grandchildren. Whatever you're standing here for, here's what we're going to do. Here's why I'm not having the altar team come yet. And I want you to press in before God. DJ, Pastor DJ, can't get you to your Kairos moment. The altar team can't get you to your Kairos moment. You got to press before God. You got to reconnect. Number one, if you've been in a place of anger, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You repent. You might have to get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. How am I angry at you when you're the one who owes my destiny? I can't be angry at you. You're sovereign. Let me get on your time schedule. I don't see it yet, but I'm on your schedule, and I'm going to wait in faith. If you've been waiting, and you're saying, God, I'm going to renew my faith, start worshiping in faith and saying, God, I trust you. That If I don't see it yet, it's coming. I trust you. Even though it doesn't look good, it's coming. We're going to worship, and I want you to press in. You ain't got to look cute. 